this time of the year is known for peace, isn't it? You see it plastered on gift wrap. You see it on signs in the yard. But did you also know that this time of the year, suicides are higher than at any other time of the year? Homes sometimes get more dysfunctional. Greed and selfishness comes out in ways we've never seen before. It's funny, Christmas is supposed to be the time of peace. And yet if you ask a lot of folks, like the people we saw in our video, they're thinking, man, I feel it feels just the opposite. We're going to talk today about who and what really bring us peace. And to help us understand that, I think it's important that I give you a little quiz first, because not only is it Christmas time around here, it's also something else. I'm going to give you one hint and one guess. You ready? You get one hint. Here it is. It's also what? Yeah, you got it. I know you think it's caucus time and election time year-round around here, but the truth is, coming up very soon, it's going to be caucus time. And there are ads galore. And there are... I mean, we're inundated with the promises from men and women that they'll bring us peace. They can fix our problems. You're grinning now because you know what I'm talking about. For instance... Tom Tancredo says he has the once and for all solution to the border problem. Hillary Clinton says she will fight for our children and their future. Which I thought was odd in light of the fact that uh, last week we are driving on the road, this ad comes on and my wife leans over and says to me, that's odd that she's going to fight for our children while at the same time saying it's okay to abort them. That's just interesting to me, isn't it? It's kind of an ironic and hypocritical set of values. Wouldn't you think so? John Edwards says that North Carolina families trusted him to fight against corporate America. In fact, I quote, he says he took that burden on his back. Barack Obama says he will make sure everyone has health care. Ron Paul says he will end the IRS mess and simplify the tax structure. It's amazing, if you're watching caucus time, you get the impression that there are actually people who think that peace and solutions are found in people. That, are a man, that a man or a woman can actually bring us what we really need. I would tend to disagree with that, wouldn't you? Our real solutions aren't found in any political figure, cultural icon, or spiritual pastor. There's fallacy in believing that. And Micah brings that out in Micah 3. Would you turn there? Let me show you how Micah brings out the fallacy of trusting in man because it only leads to being let down, disappointed, and possibly even abused and confused and and misled. Micah really tackles the issue here of, of where the citizens of Jerusalem and Samaria, where they were putting their faith. They were trusting way too much in a man. They were trusting in their kings, their prophets, and their priests. And by the way, just so you know historically, that was the leadership structure in both of the kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They had kings, priests, and prophets. 
And both of the divided, both the kingdoms, of course, Judah and then, of course, Israel, with their capital cities of Samaria in the north and Jerusalem in the south, they've begun to trust so much in man that they were leaving God out of the picture. Micah addresses that problem here in Micah chapter 3. And look what he says. He speaks here directly to the leaders of these two nations. Look what he says. Verse 1, listen, you leaders of Jacob. And we begin here the second oracle, by the way. See, Micah contains three oracles. Each begins with the word listen or hear. We looked at the first one last week in chapters 1 and 2. Here it is, Micah chapter 3, the beginning of the second oracle. And it's addressed not to the general population of these two capital cities. It's addressed to the leaders. Look what he says. You leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and eat the flesh from their bones, who excuse me, and the flesh from their bones, they eat the people's flesh, they strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, they chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Merry Christmas for family. <laughs> Somewhat of a crude and cannibalistic approach, but that is how Micah describes the leaders of his day. He says they were only in it for what they could get. In other words, you are expendable. He goes on to talk about not only were the rulers and the leaders that way. Look what he says in verse 5. As for the prophets, this is what God says, they lead my people astray. Now that's the opposite of what a prophet should do. A prophet should speak for God and lead you to God. But in these two capital cities, the leaders were doing the opposite. In fact, they were being bought. Look what it says. If one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. They were also involved, uh, verses 6 and 7 show us that these prophets were involved in, in getting their information, shall we say, in a wrong way. You see the word divination there in verses 6 and 7? You see the word seer in verse 7? In other words, folks that should have been tuned into God and hearing from the Almighty were choosing alternative evil routes. Just to be able to say, well, I heard from this and I heard from that. And and they were just materialistic. You could buy them for a price. Later on it says about verse 11. Look with me at this verse. This is kind of a, 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 a summary verse of the whole leadership structure there in these two nations. It says in verse 11, Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. I mean, the whole system was broken, wasn't it? Now to top it off, it was not just broken, and the prophets weren't just materialistic, and the kings cannibalistic, but the whole system was duplistic. Look what it says. After saying about the whole leadership structure, how they were could be bought and, and bribed, it says that in verse 11, they still say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. With all due respect, it's like saying on your money and God we trust, but turn around and killing millions of babies. Excuse me, first family. Let's just say it honestly, shall we? It's like saying, we don't want God anywhere in our country, but let 9-11 happen and suddenly everybody wants to pray. Are you with me? Those two nations were duplistic at best. Probably deceitfully hypocritical and corrupt is the... The truth. It all started with the leaders. That's why this chapter is addressed to the leaders. And the people in those countries, the inhabitants, 
We're thinking, well, surely our leaders can solve our problems. We'll put our trust in them. The kings and the priests and the prophets. But look what verse 12 says, Micah 3.12. No, because of the leaders, because of you, look what it says there. Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple on the hill will become a mound overgrown with thickets. There is a price to pay for poor leadership. And it would have been very wise for the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Samaria not to put so much confidence in those man-made leaders. Why? Because they started believing what they actually were saying. And the end result of that was the country, the, the capitals were leveled. God brought judgment on those two capital cities. You see, there's a fallacy to man-made leadership. There's, a, there's an illusion that goes on in, in, in believing what our political leaders and, and cultural icons tell us. That if they really have the answer, if you actually believe that, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Are you with me? And have we not seen that true in our own political circles? We just are so convinced that X person is going to solve the problem. And eight years later, it seems like sometimes we're back to square one. You ever felt that way? I think some of the problem is we have unreasonable and impossible expectations for any human being. And we've moved away from a vertical look, which is really where our needs are actually met. Amen? And we've gone to a horizontal perspective. And we are doomed for disappointment. I wish I could say to you that this was just in the political arena or just in the national sphere. The truth is it creeps into all parts of our life. And it's, it's crept into the Church of America. I can't tell you the number of people who come and go from churches in general because so-and-so made them mad. Or well, they didn't deliver on this or he said that. And begin to think, wow, church is really all about making sure that somebody else, a man or woman, makes sure that you as a man or woman are happy. It's kind of become very man-centered, hasn't it? I thought it was a collection of people adoring and praising God. Amen? But sometimes we become way too man-focused. I was just reading this week again about the perfect pastor. You've heard about him, haven't you? He preaches exactly ten minutes. So I think I'm exempt off the bat, okay? No, seriously, I was reading this as an old um, piece of literature that I found, and it's been around for years, but it bears repeating here because it shows us just how, how some of us can think erroneously about how our needs are met and, and, and what we're really involved with. Yes, the perfect pastor preaches exactly ten minutes. He condemns sin boldly but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. till midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears nice clothes, drives a good car, buys wonderful books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior adults. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and he's always in his office to be handy whenever anyone needs him. The perfect pastor always has time for church meetings and he's always busy evangelizing the unchurched and disciples every single new believer himself. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches. They're tired of their pastor too. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. 
If everyone cooperates in one week, you'll receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Now I can say to you honestly, in our church, and I've never felt those kind of fingers, those types of looks. But I'll be honest with you, I know that it exists in Christendom. I know that in the political arena, or the church arena, or even the family arena, sometimes we begin to think that a person is going to meet our needs, don't we? We think, well, you're not the wife that I thought you were going to be, and I'm not happy, and it's your fault. You're not the husband that I signed on for. Oh, hey, kids, what's going on? This is not the way it said it was supposed to be in the book. Or kids are like, hey, mom and dad, I don't quite get this budget thing. I mean, all around the circles, from our company, our job, our family, to our church, to our government, sometimes we actually think that, that a human leader is going to bring us the peace and security that we really need. Can I say to you, why don't we correct that at the root level? No man or woman will ever meet your real needs. There, I said it. I would trust you would agree with that. No man or woman will ever meet your real needs. And the sooner you release people from having to live up to those impossible expectations, guess what? The better off you're going to be. I've discovered something. That when I take my hands and eyes off of people and release them from having to live up to what I think they need to do to fix me or to make me happy, suddenly I find that I, my hands and my eyes are free to, to quit looking horizontally but to look vertically. And the oddest thing happens. Things around me don't change, but at least to me it seems like they do. And suddenly it's like, you know, God, as I focus on you and my hands are free to serve other people, I'm not near as consumed with why these folks aren't meeting up to what their expectations should have been. And and God becomes my focus. And, And there's something about gazing vertically, letting God be the real leader in my life. That just brings a lot of peace, contentment, and security. And I would say, if you're struggling at Christmas to find security... Peace. Maybe you're looking in all the wrong places. Maybe you've got a horizontal perspective. Maybe it's like Micah 3. You're sure that your kings, priests, and prophets will settle all your issues. They're the answer. No, they're not. Your answer is not up here on the stage. It's not in the person beside you, even if you're married to them. It's not in the person in front of you, a child or a daughter or a son. It's not in who signs your paycheck. Your security is in Him. In fact, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, He is our peace. Amen? That's where our needs are met. And at Christmas, man, let's focus not on a man, not on a woman. Let's focus on Jesus. In fact, I tend to think that's the real measure of of God-ordained leadership. You know, you can contrast man-made leadership and its fallacies with, with God-ordained leadership. And I think one of the real contrasts is God-ordained leadership continues to point people to God. In fact, look what Micah said about himself in Micah chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this verse. 
in the middle of this chapter about the fallacy of all of these man-made leaders, he says, but as for me, do you see that there? As for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. In other words, and Micah had a role, it was from God, it was to point people to God. The best leaders don't let the attention stop at their desk or at their feet. Are you with me? They keep deferring. They keep passing it upward. And they're saying, you know, it's all about God. The quicker that we can get you, let's say, in this church situation, the quicker we get people trusting and depending on God, the better off you are and the better off we are. We take ourselves out of the picture. We want to make sure you see God quickly. Micah did that in an awesome way. In fact, he did this so well that he spends the next two two chapters actually focusing the attention on Jesus Christ, Almighty God, and how He shepherds them. In fact, if chapter 3 talks about the fallacy of man's leadership, chapters 4 and 5 talk about the finality of the shepherd, of God's shepherdship, shall we call it. In fact, look with me at chapters 4 and 5 for a moment, would you? Your Bibles are open. Kind of hang in there with me mentally, okay? Look at the first four words of chapter 4. Look what he says. In the last days. Do you see that? Micah begins to talk about two things in these chapters. He begins to talk about a day that is coming. It's a day in which Christ will reign from the throne in Jerusalem. It's called the millennium. Uh, It refers to a thousand year period in which Christ will rule from Jerusalem. He'll be in charge of the earth physically. Now, I believe in my theology that's coming after the tribulation period. We're not there yet. But that day is coming when He will rule personally and Revelation says He'll rule with a rod of iron. In other words, He won't need a committee or a cabinet. Amen? He'll be in charge. That day's coming. There won't be a man to try to make it as good as possible. God will rule. He talks in chapter 4 a lot about this millennial kingdom. He begins in chapter 4, verse 1, about the things in the last days that will happen. He says, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Look at the end of verse 2. He'll teach us His ways. He says He will judge between many peoples. and There will be no wars in verse 3 and 4. And there's just different things that talk about this. Verse 6, look at this thing. It says, in that day again, there's that same phrase. How He brings together folks who are forgotten and insignificant. and He becomes their comfort. In other words, chapter 4 talks a lot about this millennial reign that one day will happen. When we have no actual human king, but when Christ is our king. And then chapter 5 seems to speak a lot about not just a millennial reign, but he seems to kind of revert back to what I would say historical uh, information. And by the way, let me just kind of take a, a pause here and share this with you. When you're reading the prophets... Sometimes, because they're, they're poets, they can jump back and forth. And sometimes you're like, man, is this about the millennial uh, kingdom or is this about historical kingdom? You're kind of not sure sometimes. Well, welcome to my world. I, I sometimes struggle there too. You're like, what's he talking about? And I think chapter 5, at least the bulk of it, talks about a historical situation, especially beginning about verse 5. You see verse 5 there? It, said when the, it says, when the Assyrian invades our land, he's talking here about... How, I believe here in about 700 or so when Shennacherib invaded that area, but God still brought deliverance. I think he's speaking here of a historical situation. But there are times he still seems to go back to 
uh, to talking about the millennial kingdom. Look at verse 10. He says, in that day again. So if sometimes you're thinking, man, Todd, it seems hard. Well, you're right, it is hard. This is a difficult book for someone to understand. But in either case, whether it's millennial or historical, watch this, it still comes down to one thing. Jesus Christ, God the Father, they are the real shepherds of His people. Whether it's in 700 B.C. or whether it's in the future in the millennium, it's all about God leading us and not about depending on man. In fact, He brings us out well in chapter 5, verse 3. Will you focus on Micah 5, 3 with me for a moment? As we see about the finality of God's shepherdship. Look what He says. Verse 3. Don't lose me for a second. Hang with me. He says, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. And then the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. So there's some type of like rescue going on. There's a remnant being provided for. Look what it says. When that happens, he will stand and shepherd his flock. Who does he refer to? He refers back to the one mentioned in verse 2. Who came out of Bethlehem. This ruler whose origins are from old. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Now, I believe these verses have a dual meaning. I believe they refer to the life of Christ on the earth, but also to the millennial reign when He will actually do what the last part of this verse says. It says that He will rule in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they will live securely. See that? For then His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And look at the, last, the first part of verse 5. And He will be what? Their peace. I mean, in these verses, you, you see an awesome contrast to chapter 3. Chapter 3 was all about how man's leadership will ultimately fail you. It is a fallacy and an illusion to think they can give you what you need. But guess what? A day is coming and a shepherd is coming who will never let you down. Hallelujah, church. That's on the way. I like to say it like this. Christ's shepherdship is viable now. In other words... It's legitimate and real. It meets all of our needs. And in the millennium, it will be visible. Some folks say, well, I just can't make it till then. I'm having a hard time now. Listen, Christ's presence and peace is just as viable now as it will be then. It's just not as visible. But a day is coming when the same shepherd who who takes care of us now will set up a throne in Jerusalem and he will rule over the whole earth visibly. But guess what? That same shepherd who's waiting to come back is still alive and powerful in the hearts of his people through the Holy Spirit. That's the deposit given us according to Ephesians 1. Here's what I'm saying, guys. We're not in a worse state now. It's just a less visible state. But God is still powerful. Christ is still our shepherd. And the key to finding security and peace is not by looking horizontally at men, Micah 3, but looking vertically at our great shepherd, Micah 4 and 5. That's the gift of security that God offers everyone who believes. Now, if the idea of Christ as our shepherd seems strange to you, I remind you that throughout Micah, he's portrayed as a shepherd, and that's a biblical motif as well. Throughout the whole of Scripture, God's Son, Jesus Christ, is pictured as our shepherd. In fact, let me show you some verses. And this will probably kind of build to a climax. There's an awesome set of Scriptures here that I want to share with you that I think will set in our hearts and cement a Christ's role as our shepherd and help us get our eyes off of men 
and vertically onto God. Look what Hebrews 13.20 says. And you read the parts that are in bold with me. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant bought back him uh, from the dead our Lord Jesus, that what? Great shepherd of the sheep. That's what He's called. Look over at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Look what it says here. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And by the way, while I'm on this idea of the shepherd appearing, do you notice that in Luke, or excuse me, Isaiah, Marty read these to us this morning, it said the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Remember that? Guess what? The same verbiage is used in the New Testament when it says the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Isn't it interesting that in His first coming, the prophet said, the Lord Himself. And in His second coming, it will be the Lord Himself. You see, you get the impression and the clear biblical distinction that our best shepherd is Jesus. It says when He appears, we'll get a crown that will never fade away. And the implication is what men will give you will only last a while. It's temporary at best. Just like man's leadership. It, it's, it's failed at best. It's human. But when Christ appears... He'll give us not only a reward that will last forever, but He will reign with us. He'll be our shepherd forever. Look what Revelation says, speaking here of the end times. I love this verse. It says, Revelation 7, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, that's something man can't do on earth. Man cannot wipe away every tear from your eyes. Are you listening to me, First Family? Are you hearing me? I'm trying to say something to you. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to make mistakes. And you can, you can say amen all you want on that because I already have. I've made some this morning already. They're unintentional. But you know what? I am at, I'm at best a man. I'm human. And guess what? Let's flip that street around and to the other side of the yellow line. You're going to let me down. Are you with me? Sometimes we always point toward the stage and say, our pastor's human. Guess what? So are the members. It's, it, would, it would be very wise for churches to say, you know what? Our pastor and our people are all human. We are men and women trying to flesh out in a body of sin this thing called Christianity. And sometimes we just flat don't do it real well. But I know someone who came to earth as a baby and lived 33 years holy and spotless and sinless. His Father God is holy. And they'll never let me down. And so, even though on earth there are times I cry, and even with the best of friends and the greatest small group, the best ministry team and a super church, there's still tears. No one can really remove the pain. But a day is coming, and a shepherd is coming, who will wipe away all tears. My advice to you and to me is to let's get our eyes on that shepherd as quick as possible. Amen. Let's focus on Jesus. What did the writer of Hebrews say? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And you're going to find that first family, the type of environment that will, will probably, hopefully, just see. Get your eyes on Jesus as quick as possible. We do not want to be personality driven. We don't want to build some kind of empire or grow a church to a man or a program. It's our desire to worship God. God alone. And to lift Him up. 
and remove ourselves as quickly as possible. Where God uses us and how He uses us, praise His name. If we can meet needs, if we can be His hands and feet, I'm all for that. But beyond that, when it comes to who gets the credit, man, man, take us out of the way. Pastor and people, amen. And let's be a church just kind of odd in our culture. Not driven by a person or a program or a, or, a, or a human. But driven by the winds of the Holy Spirit of God. And humble people who know that God will meet all their needs and so we just serve Him without any worries. In fact, it's interesting that last week we talked a lot about how to live humbly on the outside. Guess what? Jesus shows us how to do that and Jesus shows us now how to live securely on the inside. The real key is in Jesus. He shows us how to be humble and He shows us how to have peace. In fact, I love this verse in Romans. Um, it comes after John, uh, Psalm 23 and after John 10. Remember Psalm 23? David wrote this, The Lord is my what? And I shall not... Man, everything we need is in the shepherd. John 10 talks about how he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he says this, he says, you know what? I have other sheep which I'm going to bring with me. He's mentioning there not only the Jews, but also us, Gentiles. He says, man, I'm such a good shepherd that I'm going to bring other folks who even aren't part of this quote-unquote pen right now, the sheep pen. Christ is the ultimate awesome shepherd. That's why. He could make peace with God. Look at this verse in Romans. I love the verse that describes the end result of the work of the shepherd. Look what he says. We have peace with God through whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. See, all through the Bible, there's this, there's this picture of the shepherd. He was born in some little insignificant town. He lived a perfect life. He shepherded his people. One day he'll actually rule and reign with them. But he's the ultimate shepherd. And his ultimate work was making sure that we were at peace with God. And now as we live in this world, we can have the peace of God. All of that comes from the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And you still want to watch a man? And I still want to follow a human? And I'm still intrigued by a mere mortal? Away with that first family. Amen? Man, let's turn our eyes vertically and be uh, just uh, amazed by the shepherd Jesus Christ who brings us peace. I say it again. He is our peace. You've seen the bumper sticker... No peace. Uh, no Jesus, no peace. You've seen that? They've spelled the word no differently. I think the first time it says N-O, right? No Jesus, then N-O, peace. And then the second part says what? K-N-O-W, right? No Jesus, and you can know peace. I would say to you, though you know that, and though it seems simple, it is incredibly true. The peace you're looking for It's not a horizontal issue. It's a vertical gaze. Question for you, first family. Where are your eyes? I know that phrase behind me is not very good English. Peace is knowing who to look to. It's not good English. But man, that's some awesome theology. You see, if, if humility is taking the escalator down, remember that last week? then security is taking a look up. And it means letting your wife 
and your husband and your boss and your employees and everyone that you're trying to make sure that, that you get their hands on them and they is taking your eyes and hands off of all those people and say, God, all of my peace and security is in you. You're the only perfect shepherd. You'll be amazed the transformation that will happen here. I remember when um, Brett was about five and I must confess to you that we lost him at Merle Hay Mall. I'll use the words misplaced him for the sound. We'd only been in Des Moines a few months in fact. We were checking out the little Merle Hay Mall. We were from Atlanta, you know, where malls are as big as like suburbs around here and Suddenly we looked around and we have no bread. And my wife, as any woman here would do, uh, we just began to panic. And she made sure that I felt that and I need to panic too. So we're both panicking, you know. And this is an extremely important issue. And, and I'm sure that was true. And so we're looking, we're asking security guards, we're wondering where he is. We couldn't find him for several minutes. I think it was probably 20 to 30. We just couldn't find him. So we're, we're just trying to find any help. We're going, we're backtracking and... Finally, we're uh, at those days. There was a, a laser place kind of on the end of the food court down there, or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what was there, but it was a business, and we were there just wondering. All of a sudden, on the other end of the food court, here comes the security. He turns the corner. We were looking that way, and he's holding the hand of a little five-year-old. This little five-year-old just a weeping. He's just crying, you know. And that security guard had the right uniform, but he didn't feel secure. Brett didn't. I mean, he was supposed to, but there was something about this that wasn't going to really give him what he's looking for. You with me? And he was a guy in a food court. You'd think that would bring some security, wouldn't you? Now, I know he's only five, but I'm telling you, his appetite start early. But at that point, man, the food court, the security guard, nothing was really working until across a crowded room. You know, here's a five-year-old, and he sees mom and dad, and suddenly uh, he feels secure. And my wife felt secure finally. And they ran and we found him and the security guard. We thanked him and all those things. But I'm telling you, the men in his eyes met Julie's eyes and she got his hands on him. And he knew then everything was going to be okay. Because he was looking at the right person. Are you with me? I tend to think about that as a, uh, when I think about spiritual security that... You've got to gaze in the right place. You need to look at your father. You need to look at the person you come from. And that's God. He wants to redeem you in the end. For those who believe He has redeemed you. And and you won't find the security you need anywhere horizontally. A food court, spiritually speaking. Another person who might have the right clothes. You know what? You're only going to find the peace that you're needing when you gaze at God. His Son is the ultimate shepherd. And I encourage you this morning as your pastor, take your eyes off of man, gaze at the Lord, and experience, finally understand what Micah talks about in Micah 4 and 5. The peace of the ultimate shepherd. One day He'll bring it in a visible way. For now, it's totally vile because His Holy Spirit's in our hearts. Either way, our security is in Jesus, for He is our peace. Shall we pray? All of our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.
I'm going to ask the band just to wait in your seats for a moment, if you would. You can join me just in a minute. Would you think with me for a moment, First Family? Do you know the peace that Jesus brings? Maybe I'm talking to people here this morning who... Uh, maybe you've been trusting another man. Maybe your religion up to this point has been all about some man who could absolve your sins or, or give you something that would settle your past. Or maybe it's been all about giving an item or maybe doing some good. None of those things have any biblical authority to redeem you. Only Jesus can make you right with God. So I ask you just a very basic question. Have you embraced the gospel, which is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you embraced that as the only way to heaven? As your only way to peace? If you've never prayed and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, if you've never repented of wrong and said, I know that only Jesus can give me the peace I need with God, I invite you this morning. I encourage you. In fact, I implore you as an ambassador from heaven, shall we say, be reconciled to God. Make peace with God through Jesus. I was about 14 when I made peace with God through Jesus. And I let my heart cry out to God. I was sitting in a, an auditorium somewhat like this. And I just said, Dear God, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the gospel is the only way to be saved. And so I take my stand on that. And I believe this morning, Lord, save me. And that prayer from a heart of repentance, that prayer of faith, God then moves from, from His throne and He acts on my behalf. And He covers me with His grace. Have you this morning been covered by God's grace? Have you allowed Jesus to make peace with God on your behalf? Say, Todd, I don't know that I have this morning. I'm hearing you talk about peace. And I've been thinking it's all about a, a horizontal look. But if it's really vertical, if I can only be right with God through Jesus, this morning, Todd, my heart is crying out to be saved. I would like to know for sure that I'm a Christian, that Jesus has made peace with God for me. And Todd, I want to talk to you later. I really want to find out more. And this morning, I want to be saved. Just, I don't know if there's anyone here, no one's looking, but I just feel the Spirit of God making, is really confirming my spirit, the need to, to make sure every one of you know confidently that you have made peace with God. Anyone here say, Todd, I've got some questions and I'd like to talk to you later. I will not ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd like to know. So I can pray with you and, and maybe and then afterwards just talk with you. Anyone say, Todd, just pray for me. I really want to know for sure that I'm a that I've got peace with God. Especially during this time of year when it seems so unpeaceful. Anybody at all. If there is, of course, you know you can always talk afterwards. Folks, let's just continue this week to live in security. Not because of anything horizontal, but only because of our vertical gaze on God. Let's do away with the Micah 3, shall we say, in that time of mindset. And let's embrace Micah 4 and 5 and let the Lord Jesus Christ shepherd us.